You are listening to the official podcast of Refuge, where we believe all people matter to God. This evening, there will be what is known as a blood moon. A full moon will rise in the northern American skies. And then about just past 7 o'clock, the moon will begin to transform into a bloodish, what they call a blood moon, or with a reddish tint. And what happens as, the, as it passes into the Earth's shadow, as the moon passes into the Earth's shadow, it turns into a deep red hue because the aurora of the sun on the backside of the Earth kind of enlightens the moon, even though it's in the Earth's shadow. This is known as the blood moon, which is actually the fourth lunar eclipse in the past two years, which each of these lunar eclipses have fallen on a Jewish feast day. And in the Jewish calendar, the, the day begins at 6 o'clock. So uh, this would be the feast day of the Feast of Tabernacles, which is beginning this next week, which is called Sukkot. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. But uh, this actually, it, I just want to share a couple of thoughts before we get into our message along these lines. In Acts 2, 17, verse, verses 17 through 21, when the apostle Peter got up in the day of Pentecost, he began to talk about these being the last days, and that was almost 2,000 years ago, so we're in that last days kind of period. But he mentioned in verse 17, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, that great and magnificent day. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, what's interesting about this, this is simply a sign in the heavens of the last days. And you don't have to be around Christianity a whole lot to really see the signs of the times that we're living in what we know as the last days. So how do we respond to that? We need to have a ready heart and prepared to truly follow the Lord with all of our hearts and, and seek his will and, and be that witness. Now, um, this feast of tabernacles that the Jews are, Jews are entering into is actually a reminder to the people of God, a reminder of his provision that they received in the time of the wilderness, and also is to look ahead to the promise of the Messiah coming and setting up his kingdom on this earth. And so I'm excited about what God's doing, and we need to uh, continue to be prayerful as we seek his will, his directives for our life. Amen. As we continue to move forward, as we look at the parables of Jesus, we understand that a parable is a short allegorical story designed to illustrate or teach some truth, some principle, or a moral lesson. They, they actually convey a meaning indirectly by the use of comparison or analogy. Now, the word parable is interesting because Jesus used parables to make a comparison. And 
the word parable comes from the compound Greek word parabole, which first uh, aspect, first part of that is para, meaning close, close beside, to be close beside, or to be with someone. And the second part of that compound word is balo, which means to cast or to throw. So the meaning of this word actually is a teaching aid cast alongside the truth being taught. It's usually fictitious or even metaphorical, but it's making a comparison. It's comparing one thing with another, and, and thus it's comparing a spiritual truth with something in the natural that we can understand so we can better relate to it. And so it's a, it's a means of figuratively speaking they often create a greater interest and hunger for those who want to go deeper in their discovery of truth because sometimes the, the parable itself would cause confusion to the crowd. They didn't understand what Jesus was trying to uh, get across to them. And so it was in the time that Jesus met with his disciples privately that he would give explanation because he wasn't about to go deeper with people that didn't want to go deeper with him. The proud and the arrogant, those who criticized Jesus, those who despised him, he wasn't about to give them heaven's download on revelation. But those who earnestly were seeking him, he would give that. And, and that's the reason for the parables. It, it helps us to relate spiritual truths in practical application in our lives. Um, in fact, a parable, and I've said this every week, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Amen. And Jesus said in Matthew 13, 34, all things, actually this was said about Jesus, all things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. So, so he used this as a means to communicate truth. In Mark chapter 4, verse 33 and 34, the scripture reads, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. And so it's important to realize that sometimes we have to be sensitive to be able to share what people can receive, because sometimes people can't take it all in. And so Jesus understood that. Last week, we looked at the parable of the prodigal son. And if you uh, have access to any online device, you can check out our podcast to listen to that message. It's available at no charge. The parable of the talents. You know, as I study this one, there's a lot of ways to approach it. There's a lot of information. There's a lot of commentaries. Everybody puts their two cents in on the parable of the talents. And so I want to take it from perspective that is more of a kingdom mindset. Because when you look at the context of, of where this parable is found, it's in the context of where Jesus is making comparisons with his kingdom, what his kingdom is like. And he shared the parable of the virgins. We say that in Matthew 25, verse 1. He, he talks about uh, the virgins, and, and he says, this is what the kingdom is like. It's like these 10 virgins that are on their journey. All right, and so uh, we see this, but this parable is really about being faithful and responsible 
to what has been entrusted to you in life. And I want you to keep that thought in mind. Some have taught this parable in reference to the gifts and natural talents and abilities that you have and about using them to the full potential, okay? But it's more than just what you've been gifted with. It, it goes beyond that, and we want to look at that today. And as I said, this chapter, when we looked at Matthew 25, it begins to make comparisons of what the kingdom of heaven is like. In verse 1, it says, And the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. So, again, we understand that it's also in reference to the anticipation of the return of Christ. So, this parable, in particular, is in reference to the last days or the last time in the earth that we have in anticipating and waiting for Jesus to return. Now, uh, starting at verse 14, we'll drop down, and if you have Matthew 25, if you have your Bibles with you, open up, and we'll start reading in verse 14, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. So starting at verse 14, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. So, this is in reference to the statement, the kingdom of heaven is like a man going away on a journey, okay? Verse 15, he, to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. Verse 16, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the one, the two talents made two talents more. Verse 18, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, let me pause here just for a moment. This servant buried his talent. And maybe he was jealous of the others, uh, other servants because he didn't get as much. Maybe he was embarrassed because his wasn't as great as theirs. Um, or maybe he didn't think his talent really mattered or that it would really make a difference. So he might as well bury it. So it wasn't considered valuable or important to him. In verse 19, it goes on to say, Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And, and I'll just understand that there's a day that accounts, all accounts will be settled. Verse 20, and he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now we understand that the master here is in reference to Jesus. We also understand that there's a time that all of us will be standing before the master. Now, in particular, this uh, parable is speaking and addressing believers in the role of service in the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of God, okay? So there will be a time that all of us will stand before Jesus, and we will have to give account. Now, something I live for, 
and I've determined in my life to live for is to hear the words of Jesus say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I don't want to hear him say, well, you're done. <laughs> I want to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That motivates me to do what I do in my journey with Christ, in my walk with God. It, it motivates me to respond to the inclination of the Holy Spirit in his leading when he gives me an assignment, when he gives me a direction or a directive. And, and so these are all factors that we need to give consideration for, okay? Now, and let me just add with it this statement, your faithfulness here in this life determines your rewards in the next life. Did you know that this life is not all that there is? And by comparison, when you think of eternity, this is just a fraction of a moment in time. Because by comparison, you can't really compare it. Even if you would take a drop of water and compare it to the ocean, eventually, you know, you keep taking a drop out of the ocean, it's going to run dry, but eternity goes on forever, forever and ever. It never ends. And so what we need to do, and this is something that we have to really come to grips with, is to be able to live this life in light of eternity, placing eternal value on what we do. Because a lot of things we do, it has no eternal value because you are in this world, in this life, for this time period. If it's average lifespan of 70, 80, 90 years, you are here on the earth to impact eternity. And you can do that. You can do that. You can make an impact that will have an eternal repercussion, okay, and bear eternal fruit. Let's read on verse 22 here in Matthew 25. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, what's interesting here, even though he had less than the first guy, he was faithful with what he had, and so he got the same reward. He was welcomed into the joy of his master to spend his future with him, okay? Matthew 25, 24, we come to the third guy. And we're going to talk about the third guy, okay? He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Now let's pause right there. Now this individual obviously didn't really know the heart of his master. He really may not have had a relationship with him or he would never have made that statement. God, you're just hard. See, so many people have the wrong concept of the character of our Father God. They see him as unjust, cruel, unfair. That's wrong. And see, the world perceives him as that. See, because even though God is just and a God of judgment, he's first and foremost a God of mercy. 
And before judgment ever comes, his mercy and love is extended. And you've heard me say it time and time again, and I'll probably say it in the future. If you continue to reject God's mercy and his love, eventually you will face his judgment. So don't wait. Receive his mercy. Receive his love. It has a transforming ability in your life to totally mess with you and change you into something brand new. All right. We're new creatures in Christ. Old things pass away. All things become new. All right. You want to say, read what this guy is saying. I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. Verse 25, so I was afraid. So, you know, this man never addressed his fear. He never addressed his fear. His fear kept him from knowing God, kept him from being obedient to be a steward with what God entrusted to him. So he went and hid. I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. Those are strong words. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. What? That doesn't make sense. Ten? Four? This guy has four? And one? And you get to take what that guy has and give it to the one that has the most? That's not fair. But you need to understand the heart of God. God knows a wise investment when he sees one. And yet, you need to understand that when God makes an investment in anyone, he knows the potential of that investment to bring increase. And so if, if you don't take what he's invested in you and use it, then you are called lazy. And I don't like this word, wicked. Wicked means to be twisted or to be perverted in your way of thinking. Your, your thoughts and way of thinking and perceptions are not in alignment with God's. They're distorted, okay? Now, verse 29, Jesus follows this parable with this statement. It says, to those who use well, actually, I got to back up. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. In other words, God will invest more in what is producing because he's a wise investor. Go on in verse 29, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast, verse 30, the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now you see the worthless servant had the ability and the opportunity to be productive, but wasn't. So he lost what his master invested into his life. It was taken from him. In the New Living Translation, verse 29, I want to read that in, in that particular translation. It says, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. 
But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And see, I think of so many things I could share as we address certain elements, even what we see in our society. When somebody does not have a work ethic, when they just are living and looking for handouts and looking for everybody else to take care of them. Now, it's knowing that we are to reach out to help the poor and help those who have needs but yet, more so, we are to empower those who have needs. When we go to Africa, we go there to empower them so they can succeed, so they can learn how to tap into resources available to them so that they can function, so they can grow, so they can thrive. Because many times they go there and people are looking, okay, can you do this for me? Can you do this for me? So I've come with what I have. I come to share with you the truth of the word, revelation that is unchanging. God's word that will produce fruit and cause manifestation of, of his promises and provisions in your life. The word of God works in America. It works in any other part or place on this earth. Okay? All right. Now, but you might say that verse 29, I have struggles with that. It doesn't seem right. But you need to understand what Jesus is really getting to. The core of the issue is, are you being faithful? It's really about faithfulness. And I want to talk a little bit about faithfulness in the next couple of minutes here. Because, and ask yourself this question, am I being a faithful steward of what I have? Am I being faithful with what God's entrusted to me? Or have I buried it? Or have I hidden it? Or have I just tucked it away because I'm afraid I, I might lose that? Or are you willing to begin to invest what you have in the lives of others and to see it multiply, to see it grow? Because that's what God wants to do with what you have. See, only you can do certain things in this earth. No one else can do what you can do. No one else can be what you can be. God has uniquely created you as an individual. He fully loves you, and he's invested in you, and he wants to do something so great and so amazing through your life. Unbelievable, the potential that's in this room right now. Look what Jesus did. He started out with 12. Now, one guy was a rascal. But those others, they changed the world. They changed the world at that time. The potential in this room, you can not only change this city, but you can change the world. Wow. Luke 16, verse 10 through 12 says, One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. In other words, there's a principle. If you can't be faithful with the $10, you're not going to be faithful with the 100 If you're going to squander the, the $5, you won't be able to manage a greater amount. And so are you being faithful with what you have? I can remember when I had a car that wasn't running so good. And I didn't like that car because it was giving me problems and it was breaking down all the time and thinking, okay, but it's all I had. So that means I, I kept it clean. I washed it. I took care of it because it was the little that I had. And I was faithful with what I had because I knew that that's the only way 
that I would get something more if I was faithful with what I had. And, and see, that's a principle of life that we need to understand. And that might not be the best example or illustration, but that's just what came to mind. How many of you had one of those cars? How many of you still have one of those cars? Okay, okay we won't go there. Yeah, that's, that's testing ground for you folks. And you're just, okay, I'm going to be faithful. You know, next time I wash it, there's more parts that are falling off because of all the rust and everything, but I'm going to keep it clean, Lord. You know, okay. Take care of it, you know, be faithful with it. And then it goes on to say, and the principle on the flip side says, and the one who is dishonest in the very little is also dishonest in much. So let me pause here. If they're going to tell a white lie, what's a white lie? I have no idea. It's still a lie. You just, you know, make it look at a color like, oh, it's, it's innocent. It's not so bad. But if you're going to tell a white lie, you're going to tell a big lie. Because if you're dishonest in very little, you'll be dishonest in much. Verse 11, if you then have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you true riches? Wow, oh, this really is going to shake the whole Christian world. God is concerned about how you manage your money. Because if you can't be faithful with your money, he's saying you're not going to be able to really receive the true wealth that I want to give you. So management of finances and stewardship of managing our finances really is dealing, it's a test that prepares us for what God wants to really give us in our future, okay? And then, and if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you what is your own? So we're looking at management and responsibility here. Verse, Luke eleven forty two. another passage that addresses faithfulness, and the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? In other words, God has places he wants you to serve with him in his kingdom. The Bible says in, in Revelation that we're to rule and reign with Christ, that we're priests and kings. You might think, I'm just trying to make it by in life. I'm just trying to live a simple life, get through. No, God has a plan for your future, and it's to rule and reign with him. And you might, you know, think, and I, I sometimes think outside the box, it's a big universe out there. Maybe just think about it for a moment. Maybe God wants to help you rule it. Maybe there's solar systems or something that, no, let's not go there. <laughs> you know, I used to always watch Star Trek. I kind of like that outer space things, you know. But uh, we, we won't go there, okay? Anyway, so, so the parable of the talents is about wise stewardship of what God has entrusted to us. It's about investing and investing. And, you know, you've come, and, and even being faithful, you've invested your time this morning. That's an investment. And God's going God's gonna to bless that. Not that you have to go to church to earn brownie points with God because it's really for your good. And if you can be faithful in little things, like faithful to pray, faithful to read your Bible, faithful to smile when somebody walks by you, faithful in the little things, faithful to come to church when, the, when we have services and gatherings, faithful to serve in the areas of ministry that you feel like God's tugging on your heart to get involved in. So the parable of the talents warns us of the consequence of irresponsibility as well. Now, prior to his departure, the master 
Uh, their master is leaving for an undisclosed period of time. He delegates to them responsibility to manage his money, his steward, as stewards, to care for his kingdom, to take care of his stuff. I want to tell you about a talent. I found this very, very interesting. A talent is a monetary value. It was a unit of weight of approximately 80 pounds. That's pretty heavy, 80 pounds. Anybody here weigh 80 pounds? Well, not anymore. That was many years ago. Thank you. But 80 pounds, and, and when used as a unit of money, was valued for that weight of silver. It was usually silver as a unit of currency. A talent was worth about 6,000 denarii. Now, since a denarius was the usual payment for a day's labor, the value of a talent was about 20 years of labor by an ordinary person. So by contemporary standards, at the rate of the U.S. minimum wage, which is $7.25 an hour, the value of a talent would be approximately $300,000. Yeah, that's over 20 years, of course. Now, while at the medium wage of $26,363, a talent would be valued at about $500,000. Now think about this. This is what these guys got. That's a chunk of change. But it was invested into their life, and this really shows that God has made a great investment in your life. Are you wasting it? What are you doing with that? You need to really think about that. This parable is about stewardship and management. God left us in charge, and he gave us authority. And see, he allocates, or allocates his resources to his servants, expecting them to make a profit in his absence. God has made an investment in our lives, giving us authority, giving us his name, giving us the great commission. He's given us all these things, and, and yet he's still with us and in us and doing it through us but he's given us everything we need to succeed. In Luke 19, 13, the scripture says, calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. In other words, we need to be engaged in his kingdom business while he's away. And so, now, I want to share with you what we can learn from these parables. And I have, again, three points here that we need to really consider this morning. What can we learn from the parable of the talents? First of all, we need to learn faithfulness. And number one, you could write this down, faithfulness is rewarded. So cultivate faithfulness in the little things. Begin to cultivate faithfulness in the little things. Number two, God has ordained that you be fruitful and multiply. He's ordained that. He's ordained that you be fruitful and multiply. In fact, we see that as God's first commandment. He said, be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth. That's God's word. That's his ordination over our lives. In Ephesians 3.20, we need to see that God is able to do beyond, exceedingly beyond, beyond abundantly beyond what we can pray, ask, or even think. See, we set limits on what God can do through us so often. Mark 
Mark 9.23 says, all things are possible to him who believes. Where are you limiting God in your life? Romans 5.17, the scripture tells us that we're to rule and reign in this life. It says, all who receive God's abundance, grace, are freely put to right, or put right with him, will rule in life through Jesus Christ. Actually, that's rather... Um, I'll read that again. I got that wrong. All who receive God's abundant grace and are freely put right with him will rule in life through Christ. Can you say that you're ruling in life through Christ? Or is, is this life just swallowing you? Is this life just encompassing you? And you're just like, I need, I need something. I need help from heaven. I need something. I need breakthrough. I believe God wants to meet you today and help you to see your rightful role as a steward so you can begin to embrace what God has given to you and, and faithfully use what he's entrusted to you. And then number three, and this is the biggie, we will all give account to what has been entrusted to us. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, what's interesting about this, the judgment seat of Christ is not the judgment of the wicked, those who re rejected Christ. This is directly for believers, so-called Christians. We will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, this judgment is not necessarily going to determine heaven or hell. That's already been settled. The hell issue, that was paid. The price was paid for our sins. But this judgment will determine what rewards you receive and what assignment you will have that will take you into eternity. See, this life on earth is only preparation for the life to come. We don't often think about that. We don't often live that way. But if we understand that God's given us principles to live by, he's given us his word and his spirit to lead us and guide us, then we can begin to live this life in light of eternity, placing eternal value on the things we do. Are you willing to take your place in God's kingdom to serve his purpose? That's a question I want to ask you. And As we bow our heads this morning, I want to pray for you. And ask that God give you a greater understanding of his plan and purpose for your life. And know that you're part of this story where the master, Jesus Christ, comes to you and gives you a talent, gives you two talents, gives you five talents. He's given you something that is to be invested to build this kingdom, invested, to build others up, to make a difference on this earth. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each one under the sound of my voice. And I pray, Father, that you give them wisdom and understanding and the ability to recognize what you have invested in them. And Father, their role is that of a steward to manage what's been entrusted and to use that for your purpose and for your will and plan. Now, 
You can open your eyes. Some of you have these talents and these investments, and you recognize God's given all this to me. Or you might just think it's, it's just what I have. It's who I am. But it's not submitted to him. And just as this lazy servant, he never submitted what he received, his one talent to the Lord. He never sought God. Spoke with Dolores before the service, and she gave me her quick take on the pebble of the talent. She says, the first guy, he got five. He went home, he, he opened up his Bible, and he prayed. Okay, God, what do you want me to do? The second guy got his two talents, went home, opened up his Bible, prayed, said, God, what do you want me to do? Their lives were submitted to God. They were open to let God use them and work through them. The third guy got his one talent, went home, couldn't find his Bible, maybe didn't even have one. And he missed out because he never submitted what he received to the Lord. There's something in Scripture, in Romans 12, 2, that, that we need to practice every day. It says we present our bodies to him as a living sacrifice. We give our life to him so that he can do an awesome work through us. The fact of the matter is we need God's power, but God needs manpower. He needs you to invest your life in his kingdom purpose because he's already invested in you. And he's expecting a return. And that return can only take place when you give yourself to him. And when you give yourself to him, then you begin to see increase. You begin to see the investment grow and produce and be productive to where it makes a difference not only in your life but the lives of those around you. God wants to use you to make a difference in this earth. He wants to use you to change others. If you're here this morning and you say, you know, Pastor, I don't really have a personal relationship with Jesus. I don't really know him. I may not be part of the family of God, but my heart is open to receive him today and to surrender to him. Jesus died on the cross as a sacrifice for all of humanity, but that sacrifice which brought redemption and eternal life must be received as an act of our will as we surrender to him, as we come to him, because he cannot force it on you. But yet you can come and freely receive the gift of eternal life. You can be forgiven of your sins. You can be transformed by his love, by his nature, by his power. You don't have to stay in bondage to sin in its dictates in your life. You might think you're free, but you're not. You're under the bondage of slavery to sin. It's controlling your life. But you can be set free from that control. Jesus is the only one that can really do that when you come to him when you surrender to him thanks for listening to the refuge podcast for more information about who we are and to listen to more inspirational messages for free visit us online at wearerefuge.net